Hi and welcome to the Final Whistles Premier League Weekly presented by Live Now. Liverpool spanked Manchester bro, United bro, 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 bro. Cut, 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 cut. Okay. Let, let's not waste time with this stupid intro. Let's get into it. We know what we're going to talk about. Let's just get into it, bro. Let's do it. Ole in or ole out? You tell me. <sighs> Look, I have been a very, very, very patient man. You know that. Uh, but if there was a straw that broke the camel's back, then I think it was this defeat. I have absolutely no issues at all, Raushan, with losing. But in this manner... I just can't have it. You know, for so long, I have backed Ole. I stood by the decisions. I slammed the performances and I said he should get some time to nail down his proper 11. I told you that um, in this run of fixtures, he should get some time to nail down the starting 11. I, I expected a loss against Liverpool. Don't get me wrong. I expected a loss. But I expected a performance. But to go down 5-0 at home... And and let's let's face the truth. Liverpool took their foot off the pedal. It could have been uglier, it could have been 6-7-0. And you know, the, the problem for me is it's not a one-off. We saw the same thing against Leicester, 4-2 loss. And yesterday, again, a lot of the performance and the and the, and the the defeat was down to Ole. I exactly. Have got, I've got to admit that. And I told you before the game as well, it has to be a back five. No way you can go toe-to-toe with that Liverpool team and expect to come out victors. And I expected a back five, but the moment I saw the starting lineup and I saw there was a back four, I did what any smart man would do, right? I went on to Singapore Pools. I placed the bet on AOS, which basically means for one team to score six goals. And I was almost there. So you there. tried to make money out of Liverpool. No, I mean, coming from someone who <laughs> captained Mohamed Salah. I mean, Salah, points are points. Money is money. But no, no but, I'm no, completely but, with you. No, but you see, that's the thing. We, I could see it from miles away. And the same thing happened against Leicester, where you could see that coming from miles away. You could see Maguire having a torrid first half and he finished the game. Weeks before that, we saw Dalot having a torrid first half, he finished the game. So a lot of these decisions are now, I'm looking at it like, there's no way Ole can't see what a common man like me can see. And I think at the end of the day, it's got to go back to the manager. You told me before the recording, the buck stops the manager. I completely agree. But here's the thing. I think it's a multifaceted issue. Uh, to blame it on Ole alone, I think... Personally, it's lazy. No, I don't think anyone's blaming Ole alone. Well, I'm not at least. Yeah, so to me, we've been here before. At the start of the season, when we won against Newcastle, I said, this team does not look like a team. And that was very early on in the season. Since then, we have not improved at all. We have gone backwards. Yes, some wins in the Champions League have papered over the cracks like you always used to tell me. Uh, but today, I just want to talk about three things that I think is a major, major problem with Manchester United. And give me some time to rant here, of course. First of all, I want to go to the obvious, right? Which is what everybody's looking at, Ole. But I just want to insert his coaching staff here as well. Ole and his coaching staff. For so long, these matches against the Big Six have always been my go-to yep. when it comes to the defence of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Because I told you that, you know, in the defence of him being tactically naive, I said, look at, look at him in big games. Against Manchester City last season, we won both games and I said he showed his tactical class. Against Liverpool, we won last season I said he showed his tactical class. Uh, other big games Ability, like PS, I wouldn't say class, but go on. Yeah, but to me, it's a, it's a tactical masterclass and we saw that against Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea, PSG even. But there was a formula there. We sat back and we played on the counter and we got the results. Why then, against Liverpool, he decides to take the game to them? I completely do not understand and do you suddenly feel your team is good enough? You clearly saw they weren't good enough to go toe-to-toe against Atlanta. What makes you think that the, the United are good enough? That's my biggest worrying point that you talk about the basics. He he got the basics right in those big games. And for some reason yesterday, he opted not to go for basics. I don't know whether it's him pandering to the pressure, him pandering to the, the choices that he had. But in terms of personnel, shocking that he chose the back four who are clearly out of form especially two out of the back four, completely out of form, Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw, and still did not do anything. You cannot argue that it's the injuries. I don't, if Ole, if I get a chance to speak to Ole, I'll ask him, why the hell do you opt for a back four instead of five? And he probably will tell me, oh, but uh, Varane was injured. I don't buy that because to your point, some of our best performances last year was with essentially the same personnel. And it's also not for me trying to fit Ronaldo into the team because I think you can play fire the back and still find a way around Ronaldo. At this point, I just feel Ole is... Stop trying? Yeah. Is that too harsh yeah. to say? No. So, so the, your point about tactics, I've always looked back at the big games and I always thought that the big games will show... Uh, his tactical nature, I would say. Mm. Which is why I was so disappointed, which is why you can see the anger in my voice that you can clearly see against Liverpool there was no tactics there. You, he clearly did not realise that Liverpool were going to press them high. There's no way they're going to play out the back. All these things were not prepared. It goes back to the coaching stuff which I want to talk about. And it's not just the tactics, sorry, I'll let you finish, mm. but you play with the back four and then you decide to try and press Liverpool who are the masters of the pressing game yep. and your pressing cannot be worked over one week with 
ask for this United team to press a lot more, to show a lot more fight. They tried that yesterday, but without knowing how to. And that's why there were so many gaps that Liverpool were more than happy to take advantage of. Yeah, which goes back to my point. I can always fall back on these big games and the tactical decisions that come with it. But he's totally undone that in the, in the last game against Liverpool. Tactically clueless in that game. And it goes back to the coaching staff as well. You look at Michael Carey, you look at Kieran McKenna. Where have they ever been in a top job in, in football? Kieran McKenna was an under-18s coach who came into United job and he's been an assistant coach there. Michael Highly Carrick, regarded, yes. Yes, but Michael Carrick, where has he ever coached at the top level? No. So all these guys who are basically rookies advising another rookie at the top level, so it's what, rookie United? That's what it seems like to me. And to me, I think that's the big problem. It's not just Ole, but the coaching staff as a whole. So it's the structure around it. It's the structure around yeah. it, yes. Yeah. Going to my second point, I, I've talked about Ole and the coaching staff second. We've got a Ronaldo issue, let's face it. We saw a lot of uh, fans being excited. You were one of them who said that, you know, with Ronaldo, we're going to win a title. Look, I'm not saying Ronaldo is to blame, but his presence is a factor in how terrible we currently are. You see, we got a six, uh, 36 year old, I almost say 63 year old. <laughs> huh? we, we have a 36 year old superstar who's up front, you know, waiting to be serviced, but you don't have a plan, you don't have a pattern, you don't have a structure around him, no cohesion. This isn't Ronaldo's fault, you know. It's the fault of the people who signed him who don't see a plan for him under Ole. If Ole was a top, top manager, he would devise a plan that would see the best out of Ronaldo. Clearly, there's no plan because you've got Mason Greenwood on the right who clearly does not... Has no relationship. No, yeah, yeah, no relationship yeah. with Ronaldo at all. But we seem to be starting these two guys again and again and again. And it goes back to, does Ole have the ball to drop his players? No, because Maguire is totally bang out of form. You talked about looking out for a back five when the lineups came out. Mm -hmm. I was secretly hoping he would have the gumption or the balls to drop Ronaldo for Cavani because I feel Cavani would have offered a lot more pressing that he was looking for clearly. And you're looking for a team to press, then you play a 36-year-old Ronaldo who is one of the greatest goal scorers of our time. Don't get me wrong. But he's not going to give you the pressing one. So again, to your point, Ole doesn't have the gumption to go in and say, look, Ronaldo, I need you on the bench today. I you, you need to channel out what social media is going to say, what the fans are going to say. Because if yesterday he dropped Ronaldo and somehow, some way, Cavani did a lot better, we would be having a very different conversation here that it was a masterclass to drop Ronaldo. Instead, you, you, you force yourself to play Ronaldo because you think you have to and then this happens. Yep. And if you want to start him, fine, go ahead. But you make sure you have a damn team that's going to cover up for him. That, that's the basics of it, right? Agreed. And, and you look, you can't pick every damn thing at the buffet line. I go to buffet, yes, I try to take everything, but I know I can't finish it. So why take everything? You've got to choose... That's the, age, bro. <laughs> you've got to choose the best at the line, right? And it, you know, it, go, it goes back to Juventus, actually. I, I, like, I, like I say again, I don't want people to get the wrong message that I'm singling out Ronaldo. Not at all. Ronaldo, to me, is the best player in the world. No doubts about that. But when you have something as strong as that, then you've got to use him to the best of his abilities. You know, throughout the three seasons at Juventus where, where Ronaldo was there, especially in the latter two, there was a genuine lack of cohesiveness and rhythm to Juventus' play. I, I saw that. Under Sarri, it was like that. Under Andrea Perlo, it was like that. Uh, you talk about Sarri winning the league with, uh, with Ronaldo. That was in the 18-19 season. Juve dropped 24 points only in that season when they won the league. Uh, they won the league by one point ahead of Inter Milan. Just by the by the by one point. In 1920, the next season, Juventus dropped 31 points. Wow. In the following season, it was 36 points. And all this is trying to fit Ronaldo. So I, I saw this article on a, on an Italian magazine, and you know, they, they basically said that um what Juventus had a problem with was trying to cater to Ronaldo whilst at the same time trying to play a system-based brand of football that would win over the neutrals. But the end product was a highly disjointed team that dug its way out of games purely based on moments of individualism. That is exactly what has been happening since um, that game against Leeds United. New Newcastle was an example as well. Uh, it's two scuff shots and United won the game. Individual moments of brilliance. We don't seem to have a team and something has got to give. Yeah. But it's only the man to go to Ronaldo or go to some of his players and say, guys, um, we can't have like three attackers. Uh, some of you are going to be dropped. The likes of Lingard, who's a pressing machine. He's not in the team. Exactly. Donny you van der Beek, apparently who's been performing well in, in training. He keeps the ball well. He, he has a tiki-taka kind of style. He's not playing. So a lot of these guys who are underperforming week after week, you talk about Maguire, you talk about Shaw, they still get to play because Ole is not a big enough manager or doesn't have the gumption like you said to drop these guys. I, I don't think he has and I don't think he he would demand that sort of if if a manager of a certain class comes to you and tell tell you you're going to not play big for the betterment of the team, you would accept it coming from certain managers. To that point, I think that's why I know there was a lot of talk about Ronaldo joining Man City but Man City pulled out at the last minute 
now that I'm talking about it, thinking about it, I think probably Guardiola thought, no, it's not worth having Ronaldo despite my desperate need for a striker. I would need to change my whole tactical identity and philosophy to fit this unreal striker, unreal goal scorer, but is it worth it? And I think Guardiola realised, nope, it's not worth it. And now we are stuck with Ronaldo. Well, I say stuck. He is still a fairy tale to come home. But then, to your point, what's the point of him being the ultimate goal scorer, but the knock-on effect is so detrimental to various other people in the team. Bruno looks a shadow of himself. Bruno looks absolutely lost. He's taking shots from I don't know where. He Okay, midweek Atlanta, he he was part of the, the turnaround. But again, it's in, it's in glimpses. We don't play well as a team. We don't press well as a team. We don't come together as a team. We are individual individuals trying to fit and play a certain way, which is not working out. And this is why I think Ole has done so well to get us this far. And I don't think, it well, for me at least, I don't think I hate United or hate Ole any less when I say the time is up for Ole. Because Ole can leave with his hand on his heart saying, I'm leaving United in a better place than I found them. I don't think a lot of other managers, i.e. Louis van Gaal, David Moyes, David, eh? David Moyes or Jose Mourinho can say that. But Ole can literally say, I took y'all when it was so toxic, when things were so bad. I've done my best to clean up. Now it's time to give over the reins to someone who can paint a nicer picture with a box of crayons. Be- before I give my concluding statement about Ole, I know you're waiting for that concluding statement. Uh, third, third point I want to talk about is players. No Manchester United player managed more than one tackle in that game against Liverpool. Liverpool, meanwhile, registered... Pogba managed a tackle. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Liverpool registered 11 successful tackles in the game. You you can talk about managers all you want. You can talk about tactics all you want. But at the end of the day, something seems to be missing from the drive of the place. We talked about this during Mourinho's time. We are talking about this again during Ole's time. We, we talk about individual players. Harry Maguire. I've always backed him. You know that. I've always said that this guy, I think he's a good defender. He has always done well. But since the start of the season, he's been woeful. But time again and again, he's been playing and playing and playing and Ole seems to be relying on him all the way. How would Eric Bailly feel? How would even, I would say, Phil Jones feel? Because yeah. at the end of the day, these are professional footballers waiting for their chances. The Leicester game was a chance for Eric Bailly to get some minutes. We saw how Harry Maguire came and had an absolute shocker. Imagine being Eric Bailly on the bench thinking, bro, I could have done better than that, bro. Yeah, and what pissed me off about Harry Maguire was that post-match interview. Yeah, yeah. Basically, for those who, who didn't get a chance to listen, he actually went on the post-match interview and said, I'm only here because I have to. <laughs> what bullshit is that? I mean, I cannot expect accept that from anybody play, who plays for the cup, let alone the a captain. captain. And and you look at other players who are supposed to be leaders. Bruno Fernandes. Every time he loses the ball, Timmy loses the ball. He flails his arms yeah. in the air yeah. and doesn't track back and says, "Oh, what's happening?" You look at other other players. In who who is the leader? Who is supposed to be the leader? Is Paul Pogba supposed to be the leader? Clearly, from his actions in a game against Liverpool, you can say he's not the leader. There is no leadership in the team. You saw in the last three minutes of the first half before United conceded that fourth. United players were losing their head, started from Ronaldo kicking out at Curtis Jones. I think that should have been a raid, by the way. And then went on to Fred getting the yellow card. Bruno losing his head. If you had leaders, if if Roy Keane was on that pitch, he would have taken it by a scruff of their neck and told them to wake the fuck up, basically. Yeah. And there was nobody doing that. And the way we conceded, conceded like, you know, once you concede two or three, I know you can tell me, oh, it's a confidence thing, so you're already down against the drum, so you're going to end up conceding so many. But you need to wake up your idea at some yeah. point, and they never did fucking and, wake and, up. And I don't even want to go into body language, because if I were to talk about body language, you're going to be here all day. But I think the main problem now is the fact that in previous seasons under Ole's management, we saw a bit of new things. That the back three with Luke Shaw playing at left centre-back was something new. Alex Tyler's playing at left wing-back. It's something new. But this season, I have not seen anything new. You talk about Scott McTominay. He's played centre-back for Scotland. Is that not an option for us to use at uh, Manchester United? We talk about Fred and McTominay. Time and again, they play in central midfield. What has Donny van der Beek done to deserve the treatment? That's that's my main issue with, with Ole at the and moment. Sorry, I just want to add, your players speaking to the media, you obviously took offence to what Harry did, as did I. I also think it's weird that players are now coming out two weeks in a row now. Pogba came out after Leicester and now Luke Shaw has come out and said, yeah, something's wrong. We yeah. need to address this. There's something fundamentally wrong. Okay, bro, I hear you. I can see that all the way in Singapore. But what the hell are you doing? Yeah. What's the point? You come yeah. out and talk in the media this big game. Pogba two weeks ago got the, the balls to come out and say, oh, something is wrong. And then got a chance. You know what hurts me most for the longest time? You know Gerard came on at halftime and then got sent off for that challenge against uh, Ender Herrera. Mm-hmm. Now Pogba's done the same thing, bro. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly the same thing. He imploded when your team needed you the most. And yeah, this is my problem. How... I think this is a huge issue for Manchester United because when you look at Ole's reign, he has cleared Deadwood. You talk about cultural reset. But here we are talking about 
players still not revolting but acting up against the manager. You need someone who is bigger than the club. Look, now having said all I have to say and having had less than 24 hours to reflect, you know, I say the same thing that I said after the Foxes game, which is, will any club in the Premier League hire Ole if he was available today? The answer is no. That, that's the factual nature of it. But here we have him at United. We had him at United on an interim basis. Uh, he did well enough to get the full-time role. We all agree on that. He did well enough to get to this season I feel so. I'm not sure whether you agree with me on that. I agree. Progress was always a key word for me in terms of supporting him. I, I, I've I, supported him based on that. But this is the issue right now and I have two school, schools of thought. First school of thought is you either look at Manchester United as a place where you continue to progress and you allow someone like Ole and his rookie coaches to learn on the job because that's essentially what they're doing while living up to the values and traditions of the club, right? And when I say progress, naturally there will be ups and downs. That's the hallmark of, of progress at the end of the day. And this is exactly what is happening. So you could accept that school of thought. But here's the second school of thought, where you bite the bullet after some time and say, hey, this is Manchester United, one of the greatest teams in the world. And what are we doing with an apprentice learning on the job? These are the two schools of th thoughts I have now. I was, of course, in the first camp, but like I said, yesterday's result or, or, or the result against Liverpool, just unacceptable for me. And enough is enough for me in terms of offering up excuses for Ole time and again. I cannot defend what is happening and I cannot defend Ole anymore. Neither can the team. I, I can't bear to see this team play in this manner. I just can't. And it was a shocking performance. I'm outraged. I'm sure you can tell that from my voice. And I've got to admit, as much as I would love for Ole to succeed at the club, you can't use logic and say that that is going to happen. Of course. You know, you can hope, but that's an emotional view. And I've had an emotional view for a very long time. But I had it. I had it up to here. I think that performance can never be accepted. Not just at Manchester United. At any club yeah. in the Premier League, you cannot go down 5-0 at home. And we're talking about Manchester United here, a gargantuan organisation. And, and we were lucky for 5-0 because Liverpool took their pedal off. It yes, could have exactly. been much worse. So, so that's that. But I want to be clear about one thing. You will not see me say Ole out. Simply because you can accept that things need to change, like I, what I'm saying now. But at the same time, you can back the team and the manager all the way. Uh, the, the change could come tomorrow. It could come maybe even this before this episode is out. Uh, and that's what I'll be doing. You don't have to subscribe to the same things as me, but I will back the team and I'll back the coach all the way. But I've said it. I've had enough in terms of believing in whether Ole is going to come good with this team because if you, like you said, he has done well till now, but if you want to take the next step, Ole is not the man for me. Yeah, I can understand that and you don't want to be seem like you are going against the manager and therefore you don't want to subscribe to Ole out, but I'm firmly Ole out. But that's because I think the club is bigger than anybody who is in charge of the club, who runs the club. And I want to see this club, which I've grown up supporting, grown up loving, grown up through the highs and the lows, succeed. And I think this club needs to put themselves better place to succeed. You talk about Ole not getting a job against any other of the 19 clubs. I don't think, you, when you look at all the other rivals, right? You look at Manchester City, you look at Liverpool, you look at Chelsea. I think on paper, on for squad, player to player, we can match them. Mm -hmm. Where do we fall behind? When Ole goes up against Pep, Ole goes up against Klopp, Ole goes up against Tuchel. I'm I'm not talking about one-off matches. I'm talking about CV. I'm talking about characters. I'm talking about ability tactically. Mm -hmm. I think Ole does not match up. Not even He doesn't even boot their laces, if you ask me. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, but this mm -hmm. is how I feel. And that's why I think Ole out. And I think Ole should leave before his legacy is tainted even further. Ole will always remain a legend. Ole can leave knowing that he's leaving the club in a good place, but it's time to leave. To see that shot of Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson in the stands, like that, come on lah bro. Yeah. Don't, don't, yeah. don't, don't, that, that, sh there were two things that stood out. That shot of Sir Alex Ferguson and there was this aerial shot of the fans walking out of the stadium. Ah, boy, My God, was, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah. I mean, no, which, good point to mention because for the longest time, right, where even when Mourinho was winning things, I always thought that um, the environment was toxic and all. That's why, you know, at the end of the day, I really couldn't support the, the, the Mourinho reign. Same thing for me. How can I be happy as a fan seeing fellow fans walk out the stadium, what, 60 minutes, 70 minutes into the game? And it was not just a, a few hundreds. It was a mass exodus. I can never accept that. And my final point is this. If Liverpool fans, Chelsea fans are, are saying Ole should stay. Oh yeah, something's wrong, right? Something's wrong, yeah, right? Yeah, something's wrong that, yeah. that opposition fans want this guy to stay because they know your club is going nowhere with yeah. him in charge. And unfortunately, that to me is what is making me bite the bullet at the moment. I will hold my hands up and say that uh, I wouldn't say I got it wrong in terms of backing him all the way because like I'd say, till now I'm going to back him. But in terms of believing that he had what it takes to get the club forward, 
I hold my head up and say I'm wrong. Uh, but I do hope, you know, like you said, that he lives while his legacy is still intact. Uh, I think enough about... I think, sorry, just yeah, final point yeah. before we Go move ahead. on. You talk about this clean-up job, right? I think he's done that ex- excellently. But yeah. we want a tactical identity for Manchester United now. Like it or not, this tactical identity thing is a buzzword. Mm. We see City in a certain tactical identity. We see Liverpool in a certain tactical identity. We even see Ajax in a certain tactical identity. I think that's what's lacking in the post-Sir Alex Ferguson era. And I think that's why this this squad now is ready to embrace a tactical identity of some sort because it's the best squad we had in a long time. There's no point buying players in the here and now. Ronaldo are in the here and now signings. Rafael Varana in the here and now signings. You can argue Sancho is for the future, but essentially he should be on the way. So when you buy in the here and now players, you need an in the here and now manager to get the best out of them and to instill some tactical identity. You can argue that there's no ready-made replacement in the market. Ten Hag obviously is the obvious choice. Uh, we can speak or about Conte. replacements. Or Conte. Yeah. But is that the way forward? Possibly. At, at, at this point, I'm honestly leaning towards anyone but Ole because I really feel, judging by the players' body language, what the players are saying in the media, it seems like he's lost the dressing room. And not just that, but he's lost the neutrals. There were Ole out camp, there were Ole in camp, and then there were people in the middle like you. And then now, suddenly, everybody's swinging towards Ole out based on performances, based yeah. on what they're seeing. Yeah, and which you is, can't defend it anymore. Yeah, which is why I say, to sum up everything that I've just said, it, it falls in one statement, one statement alone. I am fine with losing games at Old Trafford against Liverpool. Yep. I am fine. But not in that manner. I'm not even talking about scoreline and Rashad. I'm talking about the actual performances. The fact that you can play like that against a fellow Premier League team and look like a league one or even a championship side, it's unacceptable for me. But we can sit here all day. You know, I could even start crying uh, in, in frustration. But let's move on uh, with the trivia. Uh, which is, of course, my turn this week to ask. Mo Hopefully, S- I win something. Mo Salah, of course, uh, became the first... Best player in the world. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> opposing player to... Also your captain, huh? <laughs> yes. This week. Shameless fuller. Jota was on my bench, though. The winger, uh, Egyptian winger, of course, is the first opposing player to have taken the match ball away from Old Trafford in the Premier League era. Yeah. Who is... I know. The last player... El Phenomenon. Ah! Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> See, I always Tough give weekend you, for you. I always give you easy ones, <laughs> uh, bro. Uh, correct. Uh, Ronaldo was, of course, the, f- the last player to score a hat-trick at Old Trafford. And that was, of course, in April 2003, a Champions League quarterfinal where United won the game 4-3, but Ronaldo walked away with the match ball with a hat-trick. Beckham scored two, no, that game? Yes, correct. For, for Manchester United. I think after that, he left yeah, for, that for Real Madrid, season, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, enough about Manchester United for now. We have, of course, got other games to talk about in the Premier League. Uh, let's start off with, of course, the live now featured game of the week. West Ham at home against Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, a 1-0 win, which I which I predicted. I, t- I said that uh, West Ham will run out winners in this game. Uh, but it was not as convincing victory mm. I would say uh, but still I think Spurs' performance surprised me in a sense where they, they, they had zero shots on target in that second half uh, is this a sign of Spurs really lacking the the performance to to really show that you know Nuno is the right man or is this West Ham really going places under David Moyes I think it's West Ham going places honestly because I think uh they, both teams are in Europe so they had late midweek matches one in the Europa League one in conference and then to come away with that I think both of them rested players but David Moyes has has seems to have found a home and as painful as it is he looked out of his depth when he was at Manchester United he lost his way he went to Sociedad Sunderland a few other clubs I think and then he came to West Ham and we thought, okay, here's a guy who's probably final hurrah or something like that. But what he's done at West Ham deserves massive, massive credit because I think he's built a good team backed by good owners and they seem to be doing well. And beating Spurs 1-0, a couple of years ago, you wouldn't have expected the result. And I think West Ham were full value for this victory. And Mikel Antonio, if you had him in FPL, you'd be celebrating. I don't. But good good result for Spurs though. Well, they play Manchester United next, so maybe that's a chance for them to pick up some points. But under Nuno, they look they look slightly lost, man. Yeah. I'd be worried. And it's not surprising because when, when Nuno was installed, I said, you know, this doesn't look to be a good appointment for them. But you know what's great about West Ham at the moment is I think the signings that they have made, yes, uh, Nikola Vlasic aside, who hasn't really got game time so far. Uh, but, you know, last January, they, of course, signed Said Bendrama. Uh, this summer, they bought uh, Kurt Zuma. Really look like stellar signings for them. You look at the the, the, the partnership at the back right now, Kurt Zuma and Angelo Ogbona. Really look like a formidable partnership, which you cannot say the same for certain sides in the Premier League, especially yeah. Manchester United, right? So, would, would it be uh, a shocking thing to say that West Ham could maybe even finish in the top four with the way 
some of the teams have been playing in and around the top four. I I I think top four would be, would surprise me. I top six easy. Top six easy. I think that's in Moise's plans. I think post match I heard him say I want to keep this team in Europe for a long time. Uh, top four would surprise me. I see what you mean about a spot being open, but we'll touch on it later. I think Arsenal might be a, a, a possibility for top four. Changing tech, changing no, tech, uh, Mister Roshan. Uh, not changing <laughs> tech. I said it how it was. They were shit. They were shit. Now they're good, but. Yeah, Arsenal with a clean schedule without their midweek fixtures. They don't have Europe to worry about. I think they can put a run together and possibly finish top four. West Ham top four might be a stretch. We've seen Leicester try to break that that, that stranglehold. Uh, I don't think West Ham will achieve it, but I think West Ham can at least qualify for Europe. Yeah, and, and the thing about West Ham is even though they've achieved a 100% record in uh, Europe so far in Europa League, the problem is that their first 11 looks great. Yeah. Uh, but what exists Beyond outside that, right? of yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, that could be a problem as the season uh, goes on, especially because they'll be competing properly on both fronts. Right now, early in the season, you don't really feel the fatigue from a Thursday night kickoff to a Saturday-Sunday kickoff. Agreed. But yeah. as the season wears on, that could be a problem. Just before I want to move on to other games in the Premier League, just want to come back to Spurs a bit. Uh, we look at Spurs now and they, they seem to have settled on this starting lineup. But the problem always goes back to this guy in particular, which is Harry Kane, right? What... Something similar to what I say about Cristiano Ronaldo and Manchester United. Should Nuno now be biting the bullet and say, you know what, Kane needs a rest or needs to come out the side for a bit. Put him out, let's start someone else. Son, uh, Son Heung-min up front. Uh, let's surround him with other attackers. Do you think that's a, a probable ploy they could go for? On, on paper, yes. But I think just Harry Kane, who is essentially... Okay, I know Loris West the armband, but he's almost the captain for Spurs. And he's proven time and again that he can score, he can assist. So it would take a very bold manager to drop him. I don't think Nuno... We talk about Ole not having the gumption. I don't think Nuno can drop Harry Kane. I think the fans will turn on him. That's partially because of the media circus surrounding Harry Kane as well. With everything that went on with him possibly leaving the club, now to be left out of the lineup. It will it would send the the social media world into a frenzy, right? To answer your question though, footballing wise, does it make sense to drop Harry Kane? Possibly from a footballing sense, but who comes in? I think Son can play up front, and, and the stats show for you, right? When when Son plays without Kane, he's been quite effective up mm, front for mm, them, and mm. they've got so many attackers to fill in. They got yeah. Lucas, yeah, Bergwijn, Ali Ali not informed, but if he plays in the number ten role, could he be given an option? I think there? with Nuno, he saw Kane score against Newcastle yeah, uh, yeah. previous week, and then he he's thinking hopefully he'll pick up from here. And I think at the moment he's just waiting for the penny to drop on Harry Kane. Whether to drop him or not, are you definitely are not going to drop him against Manchester United? That's for sure. But if eventually if it continues for too long, then Nuno might have to consider that. For now, though, I wouldn't go as far as dropping Harry Kane. All right, let's move on to other games in the Premier League. Of course, Rauchan's favorite team, Arsenal, ran out three-one winners over. Aston Villa in Friday. Come on, you gunners! In a Friday night game. Uh, a few weeks ago, I did say that I, I personally think Arsenal will finish in the top four and a lot of people questioned me. Not just you, and, and I remember James Walton was here as well. Uh, but a lot of people reached out to me personally and say, Arsenal in the top four, are you mad? But I, I'm basically simply based on the performance and because I've always rated Arteta as a coach, but not as a manager. Uh, I thought he always got the personalities wrong in terms of how he managed them. But you can clearly see the coaching come to fruition when he's got the players around them. In this game against Aston Villa, I of course uh, stayed up to watch this game. I enjoyed the Arsenal performance because they were full of youth, exuberance. The attacking quality was there to see. Yes, given that Aston Villa really were not fantastic, I thought uh, Dean Smith got the tactics wrong in this game, playing Brendia in a number 10 role. Didn't quite work out for them. But Arsenal as a team right now, if you put them against um, a Chelsea or a Man City, I, I'm not going to say with confidence that a Chelsea or Man City will, will walk over them, yeah. simply because it seems like now, Arteta's got that formation figured out. And then look, this is where for people who did not watch the game, Arteta played a 4-4-2 in this game, uh, where he had Aubameyang and Lacazette up front, with Emil Smith-Rowe coming in from the left, almost like a throwback to Andres Villas-Boas' mm. inverted forwards formation. So, Smith-Rowe on the left and then uh, Saka came in from the right. So, what they had with this system was that they they had the, um, not just the aggressiveness, I would say, but they had the ability to play from midfield all the time because Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, they can carry the ball forward and that's what they had. Every time the ball was with Aston Villa, they quickly won it back and this was from um, the left back, Nuno Tavares, came into the defence and won the ball back. Sometimes it was the right back, Tommy Alsu, who came in and won the ball back. And then of course, you got Thomas Partey who with him there, you always can be yeah. assured that you can have a, a good ball winner. His passing sometimes, yes, I think uh, flatters uh, to deceive in terms of the short passing 
but you always know he has the quality to win the ball back for for your side, and that's what's important. As Manchester United fans, we know how important that is: winning the ball back and passing it on to your more talented teammates. And we teammates. spoke to Rob Lyle when we spoke to yeah. the guy from AFTV. He mentioned that Thomas Partey will be a key player when he's back, <laughs> and it's it's proven yeah. as much because. But he, he said he's a key player FPL, uh, bro. Okay, that one is a different <laughs> conversation. I would never have Thomas Partey in my FPL team, but yeah, you need that ball winner in midfield, and then when you can lay off the okay, we we say maybe Thomas Partey can't do your Hollywood passes. He's not going to be a carry and spring the passes from midfield. But if you can play it short, play it simple to the likes, to the ball carriers, the likes of Smithrow who looks brave, the lo- likes of Saka who's always look brave and then you've got Lacazette and Aubameyang who always pose a goal, th- goal threat when they, are, when they are on song, then you have a recipe, right? And that's why I think you talk about Arsenal playing a 4-4-2, I've seen them play a 4-5-1 as well mm-hmm. and they are showing that tactical flexibility to get to cater themselves to beat opposition and I think Ateta deserves massive credit for that. Yep, uh, but of course, I think they've got uh, quite a good fiction list in the last few games uh, but a, a big game coming up for them which we'll talk about later on, of course, in this episode. Other games in the Premier League, of course, was Crystal Palace 1, Newcastle 1. I think Newcastle were horrible in this game. Uh, Graham Jones' first game as interim manager, they looked out of sorts. Uh, other games were, of course, Leeds United with a one-all draw against Wolves as well. Uh, Chelsea. Last minute penalty, right? Yeah, last minute penalty. Chelsea, of course, 7-0 winners against Norwich City. Uh, And what really amazed me about this game was the fact that... That you got Harvard, is it? (laughs) I will walk out of this room, uh, bro. I hope Ole does too. I had had Harvard. But what was amazing about this game was the fact that Chelsea had no Lukaku. They had no Timo Werner. In stepped Kai Havertz. Yes, he didn't have the most amazing of performances, but he allowed the people around him to thrive. And I'm talking about the likes of Mason Mount, who really, really came to the fore in this game, which I'm not quite sure would have happened if Lukaku was playing. Because under with Lukaku, there they seem to be always looking for him, trying to feed him. But here you saw a lot of overlapping runs. Fluidity, from, right? Fluidity. Yeah. You, you saw Chilwell get on the score sheet. You saw James get on the score sheet and it's all because of the movement in and around the box from the likes of Kai Havertz, uh, Mason Mount especially. So things are looking good for Chelsea and I think it's a hallmark of a good manager when you see important players stepped out of a team but they still find solutions to, to find a way in and around it. But having said that, let's be clear here. Norwich were woeful. Mm. Uh, did not close down any spaces. Were happy to sit back. No aggressiveness on or off the ball. Uh, and boy, do they look doomed for the for the drop. And I think what's irritating to me as a Premier League fan is they seem to be one of those clubs who always, you know, go down, come back up, <laughs> go down, come back up. Yeah. No stability to want to stay in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, and they do them well in the Championship as well. So I'm yeah. like, okay, then just win the Championship and stay there. La. Don't come to the Premier League and, you know, take out space. But I guess for Chelsea, it works because... I feel Chelsea are going into a situation now where they're going to miss Werner and Lukaku for, for a certain period of time. Yep. So this result, this big result, will give them confidence to play in a system without those two players. And I think Norwich were there for the taking. But I think Chelsea really did well to not just ramp up their goal difference, but ramp up the confidence going into the rest of the fixtures. Yep. Uh, speaking of rest of the fixtures, of course, Everton... Uh, we're winning this game with not long left, but they somehow ended up 5-2 losers to Watford. Claudio Ranieri. Uh, the problem here is that I think even when Everton were in more or less a good run of form, uh, fans were never, never accustomed to Rafa Benitez at the helm. Uh, and a defeat like that, a 5-2 defeat to at home to Watford is not going to sit well with fans. And already I've seen chatter on social media that, you know, they want to change. They feel that, you know, the, the directors are not bringing good enough players. Um, the Everton backline, sorry to me, I think it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare. I think you've got Michael Keane, who some people tend to rate, but I think I've said before, I don't think he's a good defender. Uh, I, I really rate Ben Godfrey, but he had a nightmare in this game. So lots of problems at, at Goodison Park at the moment. Uh, but good win for Watford, ultimately. Moving on to other games, of course, Southampton. Uh, 2-2 draw with Burnley. Uh, quite a surprise result there in terms of the goals because I think I expected a low-scoring game. Brighton. Uh, High-flying Brighton, you see, under Graham Potter. Against a higher-flying Man City. <laughs> against a higher-flying Man City and they ran out. Man City ran out 4-1. Winners here. We won't go too much into that. Uh, other games, of course, Leicester City with a 2-1 win over Brentford. Raushan, that rounds up our game. Sorry, of, just before we yeah, go, sure, we spoke a lot about United-Liverpool and I think nothing's been said about Liverpool and how good they look. Yeah, I, yeah. I I, think we need to address I, it. I was going to talk about them and we talk about the Life Now match of the week. Okay, Shall fair. we reserve for yeah, that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so let's now move on to the FPL radar, the Final Whistle Fantasy radar where we will look at who impressed us. Alright, Raushan, let's start with you. Who impressed you in the previous game week? Wow, good question. 
There were a few players who impressed me this past weekend. I know I banked on Kane last week and it didn't really work out. I'm sorry, guys. Any of you who listened to my advice, I wouldn't. So next time, don't. But anyway, in terms of players who stood out for me, you know Broja? You mentioned I him don't know a couple him, of weeks but, ago. But, uh, yeah, Southampton player. La. <laughs> he, looks, he looks good, man. Yeah. Broja and Huang for me. Mm. Two um, differential strikers, I feel. Uh, I went into this FPL season thinking, okay, la, Ronaldo, Lukaku, well, Ronaldo a bit later, but Ronaldo, Lukaku will be a shoe-in for my front line. Lukaku's obviously got an injury. Ronaldo looks slightly out of sorts at the moment with the service he's getting. So perhaps I'm looking to bring in a differential striker. I know I've got Ivan Tony there, but... I, Apart from that, I look at Broja and Huang as two possible differential strikers who can come in and hopefully do a job for me up front. Alright, so you've got two players or is there a third one also? Uh, later, i tell you the third one. Okay. Uh, for me, I think who stood out for me was uh, firstly Mason Mount. Um, I'm one of those who brought in Kai Havertz specifically for the Norwich game. Uh, and amazingly, every member of their starting eleven had a return, either in the form of a clean sheet, an assist or a goal. <laughs> but Kai Havertz was the only one who had zero returns from the game uh, highly frustrating but if you looked at the game I think it's quite fair because he was not really someone who was uh, bursting into the ball trying to get into the end of a ball He was uh, his movements were key to the game so I think you've got to look at other Chelsea players in and around him and I think Mason Mount who, who scored a hat-trick in the game to me has to be the guy that uh, you've got to look at right and with Newcastle coming up and I mentioned Palace, yes, they only drew 1-1 against Newcastle, but Newcastle were out of sorts. And I expect that to be the case this weekend as well. I think Chelsea players uh, are must-get must at the moment. Uh, and I think look no further than Mason Mount, especially at 7.4 million. I think it's a it's quite a bargain, I would say, for, for, the, for the threat that he brings course, to the game. Yeah. And especially because he really looks like someone who has a point to prove. And, and what's interesting is the fact that he is one of those English midfielders right now who basically can play at number 10, can play at number 8, mm. who has a threat for his position at England. So you see the, the, the development of Emil Smith-Rowe. I think Mason Mount will be looking at the likes of him and saying, you know what, I've got to up my game here. If not, my place will be under threat at Chelsea. So I think these are the kind of players that we've got to look at right now at the moment. Uh, who's the other player that you mentioned? Alright, for me, the other player I'm looking at is Phil Foden because he had a stellar weekend and I think he's found his way in this Guardiola team and he's here to stay. And then I look at City's upcoming fixtures. They got West Ham in the Cup. They got Crystal Palace in the league. Uh, Man United in the league. Everton in the league. West Ham. Aston Villa. Those are all winnable games for this Man City team. And I think Phil Foden is going to come good. And we talk about Mason Mount being one of those English players, English midfielders who's trying to make a name for himself with Southgate watching. I think Phil Foden will be keen to do that as well. And I think he will embrace this role under Guardiola and provide lots of returns up front. Right. Uh, my second player who impressed me, of course, He's a player who's impressed me from the start. Uh, I've had him from the start of the FPL and that's, of course, Tino Livramento. I think the player like him, you, you don't really know much about him, but um, he's one of those uh, guys who was in the previous FPL season. What's his name? Uh, John Lundstrom, uh, yes. who nobody knew much about, but he was playing out of position and got people lots of points from a very low value. I think he started Livramento on FPL at 4.0 million. Yeah. Uh, right now, I think it's about 4.3, yeah. uh, about there. But wow, the, the the attacking gumption that he shows to go forward for Southampton has really got to be admired. And Southampton are kind of team that don't sit back. Yeah, in terms of clean sheets, you might not expect a lot. Uh, but in this particular game, while he scored a goal from the corner, he actually hit the post before that. So mm. it's not a one-off where he happened to just score. He's got a lot of attacking threat at the moment. And I love a cheap defender because then that leaves you more money to spend elsewhere, right? And Livermento provides certain value and he's a shoe-in to start, right? Every week, so why not? Yep, uh, for sure. Uh, as always, listeners, if you agree or disagree with our choices, tweet us at TFinalWhistle and tell us who stood up for you as well and give us some advice as well because boy, do we need it at the moment. Uh, just Salah, Captain. I don't need advice. <laughs> say someone who's behind me on <laughs> FPL. Uh, let's now move on to the week, the coming game week in the English Premier League. And that is, of course, who's next? Who's next? Right, this is who's next, where we look ahead to matches in the Premier League, whilst also picking out some FPL assets to consider. For the forthcoming campaign, Life Now will offer single match passes for the Premier League and provide a flexible option for football fans in Singapore with the ability to purchase pay-per-view passes for one fixture per match week. And if there's one thing the final whistle does well, apart from good podcasts, we also give away good gifts. We gave out jerseys last week, and this week, as we've been doing every week, we're giving out free match passes, so don't forget to go to our Instagram or Facebook page at the Final Whistle to find out how you can win three free Premier League match passes each week for yourself. And this week's Live Now Match of the Week is Liverpool against Brighton. Yeah, Roshan, you mentioned how... how 
good you think Liverpool were in the game against Manchester United. Uh, might be a bit of a hot take this, but I don't actually think Liverpool were fantastic against United. I thought United made very easy for them. Uh, but you but can, I'm not zooming in on one United result. Yeah, I yeah think. for sure, for sure. Over the, over the course of the season, I think Liverpool have been fantastic. But uh, I, I assume that you're talking about that United game in particular. Mm. I, thought, I thought they were just normal. I thought I thought they did what they had to do and, and that was it. But I think Liverpool this season have uh, surpassed my expectations in terms of how I think they would have done. Uh, not that I expected them to do badly. I think they have won games that are winnable. Of course, drew to... Uh, Chelsea. Chelsea and drew to City. Man City. Yeah. But I think they've done better than what most people expected as well. I think in terms of the attacking gameplay, uh, the season Mo Salah is having a phenomenal season. And it's not even just like he's scoring easy goals. The, the, the confidence he has to take on players, take on defenders, I think it's unstoppable at the moment. Um, of course, I didn't captain Mo Salah against uh, United because I'm a United fan, right? Uh, I think you did the same as well, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I but, went with my gut. But, but the thing is, I think right now in, in terms of FL perspective, foolish foolish not to uh, have Salah in your team yep. or foolish to not captain him of course it's I regret not triple captaining him that's all I'm saying <laughs> this fellow is a thorough <laughs> fellow but, but at the end of the day I think you've got to have uh, more Salah in your team I'm looking at you producer Nas uh, I think yeah actually to be fair I well after the game was going on I went to look at our lineups and then I'm like okay lah Deepan finally KF he has more Salah then I went to see Nas's team I'm like bro What's going on? You, I mean, you don't like listening to us clearly, but you he, have to. He's have, his own man, lah, bro. You have to have Mo Salah. I mean, the problem with Liverpool is attacking assets. They have so many. But I talked about earlier about selling Ronaldo, right? In the for in my front line, that might even free up money for me to buy Trent, who now mm-hmm. provides a very good attacking return in in defense as well. I'm not a fan of spending big on defenders, but when I look at Trent, I look at a player who is going to get me passes. And yes, we talk so much about Liverpool going forward. Liverpool in defence as well with Van Dijk. Yesterday, Konate had a, f- a fantastic, fabulous game. And that's what where game, I think yeah. that gives them the base to build from. And I think that's why Liverpool defenders might be as useful to have as attackers as well. And I just think Liverpool are purring. And I, I give it to Liverpool, but I'm going to say this. I think Liverpool need to be worried about injuries because I think they are picking up injuries. Nabi picked up, yeah, I mean, why unlucky. Is holding, why is holding me? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Nabi Keita... Picked up an injury. They've got uh, Harvey Elliott out long-term. They do have able replacements in the middle of the park at the moment. We saw Fabinho wasn't even on the bench, which was surprising. Yeah. Not was that he, he meant I don't think he was on the bench. I might be wrong. But again, I think Liverpool need to be worried about these injuries they're picking up because that might come back to haunt them. But hey, going forward, if they continue to ride this wave, it's going to be a straight shout, a straight shootout between Chelsea, Liverpool and Man City for me. Yeah, and of course, I think Liverpool fans have every reason to be happy right now. Some, of course, even gloating uh, their heads away. from. Uh, I think Liverpool's. they're a bit full because all eight five go home this morning. Must be lah, must be. Tan Chuan Jin included. <laughs> and, and let's talk about Brighton. Um, I was telling you this earlier where you look at a team like Brighton, you see how well they play against other teams and then suddenly you look at them against Man City and you're like, eh? This is Brighton, I know. Mm, mm. That kind of a feeling. And I, and I saw that against Man City as well. Where Man City found it totally easy to play through Brighton's press or lack of, I would say. Uh, I, I would say 4-1 actually uh, flatters Brighton in terms of the scoreline because I think City could have got way more. Even the goal that Brighton scored against City was of course a result of a howler more or less from from Edison where he gave away a needless penalty. Uh, but in this game with Liverpool playing at Anfield, any chance for Brighton at all? Based Not just based on what I'm saying, but let's take it uh, on an overall basis where yes, Brighton have been impressive. Yep. They did play well against Arsenal at the end of the day. Uh, I think you- the cl- problem with a club like Brighton, yeah, you were surprised to see, hey, is this Brighton? But I feel with a club like Brighton, they're going to play well in glimpses almost and they will go through seasons where they are damn good and then they'll go through seasons where they draw back a little right having said that coming to Anfield is going to prove a very big challenge for them this is a Liverpool team who just spanked their biggest rivals 5-0 and then they're coming home now and can you imagine the atmosphere Anfield will be bouncing so you know, for you Brighton, know to sing the song right sing <laughs> I don't think the fans are ready for I me heard, to sing I heard on this you podcast. singing some Liverpool songs before the recording, bro. If you want to hear me singing, go check out our Sheikh Haile Haile Fauzi Haile podcast from last week. There's a bit of singing and no, then, you know. J- just want to let the fans know la, this guy has been singing Liverpool songs. Ale, ale, captaining Mo Salah against Manchester United. Not quite sure what being a fan means anymore. But uh, let's move on now to your prediction for this game, Raushan. 
Uh, and also tell us who you think will stand up from an FPL perspective. Don't be boring and say more Salah. <laughs> okay, Give us something okay, else. Okay, okay, fair. Uh, your prediction first. My prediction for this game, I think uh, Godfrey Jersey, if I guess first quarter. I see how I'm Hey, by the way, we need to address who won the Nobody jersey. won, bro. Yes. <laughs> Nobody won. I, I, would, I would have been surprised if anybody chose. If somebody got either one correct, either the score or the first quarter, I think we give it to them. Lah. Yeah, but nobody did. Nobody did. Lah. Yeah. Okay, lah. then I take the level one. Lah. Right. <laughs> you heard it, lah. you heard it, I guess. <laughs> okay, guys, coming back. This match, uh, Liverpool 4, Brighton 1. All right, uh, and from an FPL perspective? From an FPL perspective, I, well, the obvious choice is Mo Salah, but for me, I'm going to go for uh, Diego Jota. I think uh, Diego Jota looks good. Um, I had him on my bench, unfortunately. I, I plumbed for Greenwood. That didn't really work out for me. But anyway, I think uh, Jota, for me, will 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 give you some returns. If you want to go further left field from that, I wouldn't do it. But Jordan Henderson, that pass for, I think, Salah's goal yesterday. Yeah, the way he threaded the ball, Kaka S, man. And I think it was what, really... What S? Kaka. Kaka. Kaka Sabo. <laughs> <laughs> Kaka, right? Oh, Kaka, the Brazilian player. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were saying something else. No, 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 no. They want different podcasts. Uh, but anyway, I really think I really think Henderson might provide some assist points if you are looking for it. But Jota, man. All right. Uh, my prediction, of course, I think it's a three nil win to Brighton. To <laughs> I wish three <laughs> nil win to Liverpool, and uh, I think they'll keep a clean sheet in this game. Don't see Brighton scoring against this Liverpool team. So on that basis, I would say someone like uh, Trent or Robertson even uh, could be a good pick for this week if you have a transfer and want to bring in a defender. Let's look at other matches for the week. Of course, I'm really looking forward to this one. Leicester City taking on Arsenal. Good game. Uh, really, really good game. Uh, Leicester City, I think before these last three games, if I'm not wrong, they've got three straight uh, wins in the Premier League. But before this run of games, I thought they looked out of it. It didn't seem like a, a side that was functioning. But even against Brentford, it's not that I don't like Leicester. I do like Leicester. I think they've got good players. But even against Brentford, I didn't find that they were impressive. I thought Brentford were quite unlucky not to get at least a point out of this game. Uh, Leicester City, of course, they hit them on the on the break and scored uh, with Dhaka squaring to James Madison yep. and James Madison getting the, the winner. What a week, uh, Petson. Dhaka scores four in the cup. And then yeah, and I think he might be someone, uh, since we're talking about FPL, someone worthy of having because Jamie Vardy, of course, went off injured at halftime. Not sure what the news is, but Dhaka is a good option to have. But let's talk about this game from the perspective of, I think it's a big game now because Arsenal are coming to form, Leicester are coming to form, two, two form sides. So where, where does it give? Like, wow. you know, that, is it going to be a case of Arsenal's form coming to an end simply because they're facing a top, top team? Because, like I mentioned, right, in the, in the last the few run games, of fixtures, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. was great, but yeah. it's a tough game. Do you, do you see the ending? I, I think, well, do I see ending? That's a tough question, but it's good to see two form sides because these are two sides who are, let's say, outliers for top four position and we good test of their credentials. I think uh, on, on paper, at least I feel Arsenal are better place purely because of what I've seen from Leicester. Yes, they've been getting wins, but they haven't been getting convincing wins. And defensively, I still feel they are frail. And then when you look at Arsenal with the likes of Smith Rowe scoring goals, setting up goals, you got Aubameyang who's happy to be scoring again. I think Arsenal have enough to beat Leicester. All right, uh, your prediction for this game? Wow, uh, Arsenal 2, Leicester nil. All right, I'm going for a 2-2 draw. I think uh, both sides will cancel each other out. Uh, moving on to other games, of course, Watford at home against Southampton, who come into this game, of course, Watford on the back of a 5-2 victory. Uh, do you see this being a home win for Watford? I think Claudio Ranieri did well to beat Everton. He needed to get that first win out of the way as soon as he can and then try and salvage the season for Watford, right? That's why he's been brought in to do. And against a Southampton team who... they. I feel like they did well defensively earlier in the season and then suddenly I see them conceding two against Burnley. So they could be there for the taking against a Watford team who clearly can score goal. I think Josh King got a couple or a hat-trick? A hat-trick. A hat-trick, yeah. So if it's a Watford team who have proven that they can score goals under Claudio Ranieri, expecting a good contest and uh, this could possibly be uh, Ranieri's first home win. All right, uh, let's round up the fixtures. Uh, on Saturday, that's the first kickoff of this week where we have Leicester City at home against Arsenal at a 7.30pm kickoff. Watford, Southampton, of course, at 10pm kickoff. Liverpool, Brighton, our live now game of the week. Do try some, and get those passes. Yeah, try and get those passes. Or, of course, you can pay $10 to watch the game free of any... Or pay me $5, uh, I guess. <laughs> or free of any legs or whatsoever. It's a good game to catch. Uh, that's, of course, at 10pm kickoff. Newcastle, Chelsea, another good game. Saturday, 10pm kickoff. Uh, City against Palace, 10pm kickoff. Burnley at home to Brentford. 
Burnley, of course, I think it's a good option to have right now um, where Maxwell Cornet is, of course, a good option to have for FPL uh, managers because I think he's got... Uh, he's a midfielder, but he's been playing up front, I see, for, for Burnley. He plays just off the striker, so a good option to have. Uh, and, of course, uh, a game that not quite sure I'm looking forward to, but Spurs at home to Manchester United. That's, of course, uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, 12.30am kickoff. Norwich City against Leeds United, a 10pm Sunday kickoff. Aston Villa, West Ham, 12.30am on Sunday night, Monday morning. And of course, we've got a Monday night, Tuesday morning fixture rounding up the week, which is Wolves at home to Everton. Uh, before we round up the episode, of course, Raushan, I'm going to come to you for your captain pick. Uh, who, will you, who will you be slapping the armband on this week? Uh, look, this question I'm going to answer for the rest of the season, really. Mo Salah has earned that armband on merit. And until it's Mo Salah's to lose now. So this weekend, Mo Salah, and for the foreseeable future, I'll be leaving it with Mo Salah maybe until FCON comes along. But for me, Mo Salah is a is an obvious choice for armband. If you're looking for a differential choice, then perhaps someone like Mikel Antonio because he, he provides good value in the striking at the price he comes in and he's always got a goal in him so why not alright uh, in the last few weeks whoever I said I'm going to slap my captain armband on has ended up injured Same uh, Salah uh, started with <laughs> Lukaku and then he went to someone else who got injured as well Son is it uh, not Son oh Ferran Torres, Ferran Torres got injured as yeah. well uh, so this week I'm going to test out this theory and I'm going to slap my armband on Mo Salah uh, in the hopes that he gets injured uh, so that Liverpool's season will come crashing don't uh, this Liverpool fan. Uh. <laughs> no, you got to you you got to you know no, hope your team do better, not the other team. Ah, does that's well. bullshit. At the end of the day, I think as a fan, you want your rivals to not do well, and that's me. So I, I mean, to be fair, half of them want Ole in so they can get the fuck out of here. Uh, this this the kind of fans, by the way, that uh you shouldn't subscribe to. <laughs> it's okay to to be Ole out, but I think you've always got to be respectful. Uh, just calling out my co-host here as I deem it fit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just joking about captaining Mo Salah. To me, I think Chelsea Newcastle is a fixture to look at and I might look at either Mason Mount or Tempt Fate again and go for Kai Havertz. Mm. Uh, but I think it remains to be seen. I think I'll look out for team news but uh, definitely I think Chelsea can get a few goals against Against Newcastle especially. Yeah, why not? Yeah, Newcastle team. Alright. Uh, before we end off this episode, of course, I think we started the show with a passionate rant on Manchester United. Uh, at the end of the day, I think my support is always with the club. It's always with whoever is in charge and whoever is in the hot seat. But I thought some home truth had to be hit and I think I hope I hit that uh, on the spot today with what I said. You can agree or disagree. Do do let us know. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. Uh, but like I said, enough is enough. See you guys next week. See you soon.